February 1st. Happy Monday, everybody. It is 8.05 in the morning here with the pre-roll. Just going to give you guys a heads up on everything that's going on in this podcast. First and foremost, shout out to the Virginia Tech men's basketball team defeating the top 10 University of Virginia Wahoos by a significant margin. Men's wrestling team is out here doing the damn thing as well, beating North Carolina on the mat. But first... Shout out to our sponsor, Main Street Pharmacy. Thank you for always holding it down. Speaking of holding it down, I know there's a blizzard rolling through the Northeast. If you need your emergency, if you need NyQuil, I'm sure if you need some salt, some shovels, whatever you need, head on down to the Main Street Pharmacy. Lord Dr. Jeremy Counts will take care of you. So what's going on today? Here's what we got. First and foremost, it's Super Bowl week. So we brought on uh, former Hokie and head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Bruce Arians, on to discuss his Hokie, uh, his Hokie lineage and also talk a little bit about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year. We also brought on former Virginia Tech football captain Jared Hewitt, who just played in the Hula Bowl in Hawaii. Good for him. He took the call from Hawaii. Former captain, awesome dude, so we're excited to share that with you. And then to bring us home, we have the Hokie Hoops pod with our good friends Ed Williams and Mike McDaniel. They did a fantastic job as well. On another note, make sure you're checking out the website. We had some awesome, awesome stuff go up recently. We had an article um, or a sit-down Q&A with Sean Padula, one of the uh, point guard commits for the class of 2021 for our basketball team. Had some other articles about women's basketball, men's basketball, and some other awesome stuff coming up here. So make sure you keep an eye out on that. Last but certainly not least, we want to announce that we will be extending the Sons of Sat All Caps promo code on Roots Natural Kitchen. They have some other awesome news. They have their first ever seasonal bowl that has arrived today on February 1st. The Ponzu Bowl features a blend of your favorite Roots flavors and an exciting new dressing with tones of orange, lemon, and lime, plus a few star ingredients, including an all-new subtly spicy, sweet, pickled, just-right celery, all topped off with a sprinkling of sesame seeds. Sign me up when I get back to the East Coast. Super duper excited about that. Uh, use code Sons of Sat for 20% off your order if you're using the application. Without further ado, here we go. Super Bowl week. Got the NFL draft coming up, pro day coming up. A lot of awesome stuff. Got a big podcast for you. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Take care and stay safe. Big blizzard on the Northeast. Stay safe, everybody. Everybody, welcome back to the Sons of Saturday. It is Wednesday, 1.45 Eastern, and uh, we are happy to report a very, very, very special guest to the podcast this afternoon. Uh, he needs no introduction. He's got a big game in a few weeks, but we would like to welcome on Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach and former Virginia Tech Hokie quarterback, Bruce Arians. Coach Arians, welcome to the Sons of Saturday. It's my pleasure to be on, guys. Go Hokies. <laughs> coach i gotta uh, i'd be remiss if we didn't mention 
Both of us are New Jersey guys. I'm from Westwood, went to Paramus Catholic. Pat is from Basking Ridge, went to Del Barton. You're right from Patterson, right around the corner in New Jersey. Yeah, I was born in Patterson at St. Joe's Hospital and uh, grew up in Wanakue. And uh, my uncle had a gas station on Squirrel Hill in Hamilton. Is it uh, is it pork roll or Taylor ham? I have to ask. That's pork roll. Oh! <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, well, let's get right into it here. Um, you know, you've worked with some absolutely incredible quarterbacks in your time coaching um, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Kurt Warner, big Ben. I'm curious as future hall of famers and some of the best to ever play, what really separated them from everybody else and what kind of made them uh, really special. And at the end of the day, champions as well. Yeah. I, I think God gave them unbelievable talent but the quick twitch fiber in their brain to make sudden decisions separates almost all quarterbacks, but the great ones for sure. Uh, all the guys that you mentioned, and I'll throw in Andrew Luck and Tim Couch and some other guys really lucky to coach. Uh, that lets them perform on the field. But then when they have that leadership ability, that when they step in the huddle, uh, it could be the defensive huddle, the offensive huddle, they can will themselves on everybody around them Let's go win this game. Absolutely. And then this team specifically, countless characters. I mean, you have Tom Brady, former Giants Super Bowl champion, JPP, Ndamukong Sue, Antonio Brown, and of course, Gronk. Can you speak to this team and how you were able to come together with so many characters in such a, a short offseason and not as much time as you would normally have? How are you able to get this team to gel with so many new faces? Yeah, I, you know, I think the pandemic had part of it because there really wasn't anything else to do except go to work and, and go home and come back to work. And uh, our guys made a commitment to each other. And uh, a lot of teams won't be accountable to each other unless they really care about each other. This group really got together. They started on their own out in the summertime at Berkeley Prep High School, brought it to training camp, just took every obstacle that came in the way this year, embraced it, went on to the next one, and uh, – truly, truly care about each other in that, in that, in that locker room. And then as you look back on this historic season, what were some of the most difficult challenges that you did face along the way? Yeah, for us, it was like the Hokies too, man. You had to beat the virus first before you could beat another team, yeah. you know, and it, it took, it took a toll on our Hokie team, but uh, we were fortunate that we only had a few cases and nothing that spread. Uh, and we were able to, to have a full team each and every Sunday ready to play. And then on the flip side, you know, it's been quite a year. What are you most proud of as you look back on this season? I know, I know the goal is, uh, is the Super Bowl, but as far as, you know, this whole body of work, what are you most proud of? Yeah, I think probably the commitment they made to each other to beat the virus, you know, to, to sacrifice any outside family, restaurants, bars, anything. You couldn't do anything. Just go home and come back to work, and, and our guys did it. Our guys, we still got 10, 10 days or so to go to get to, to the last one. But, uh, yeah, just that commitment they all made, uh, it's was, it was truly impressive to me. So we do have a couple of Virginia Tech-oriented questions here. Uh, but dating back to your playing career in the mid-'70s, you, know, you did hold the record for most rushing touchdowns in a season uh, at Virginia Tech until Gerard Evans broke it in 2016. But uh, what was your favorite game that you played in as a Virginia Tech Hokie? Oh, gosh. Uh, there, 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 were, there were a few. We didn't win many that year. But South Carolina probably was, you know, it was the first win for Coach Sharp. I didn't complete a pass in the game. Actually, I had my elbow taped together so I could play. It, it had got 
broken up pretty good the week before. Uh, but if, to put that first win on them, and, uh, you know, I thought I still believe Coach Sharp is one of the greatest coaches ever. Coach, we love seeing uh, former players and notable alumni getting involved and, and being, around the, uh, being around the football team. I saw that you spoke to the team uh, last year. Just curious, what's your relationship with the uh, university currently? How often do you get back? Um, just kind of speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I wish I could get back more often. You know, I, I stay in turn up, I stay in, in touch with Coach Fuentes and uh, pulling for the basketball team like crazy right now. And, uh, you know, Mike Burnup's a real good friend, so he's the voice of the Hokies. So uh, we played together. He keeps me abreast of a lot of things going on. Um, we uh, we gave quite a bit of money to every touchdown scored last year so we could uh, get the jump program going strong and uh, really happy to have participated in that. And uh, one thing about Gerard Evans now, there's an asterisk on his his record. He played 14 games. I only played 11. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> what, uh, Coach, I got to ask you, what was, what was your favorite game that you have watched or attended post-grad? Doesn't have to be football. It can be football. Curious what, uh, what your answer will be. Well, I, I, I've got to see him play once. And uh, it was, they played UAB in Birmingham, and my son happened to be playing for UAB. And uh, got up in the press box with Mike at halftime, and uh, the Hokies beat the, the Blazers pretty good that day. But uh, it's the only time I really have gotten to see him uh, since I've left school in person. Right. And that makes sense. So we're going to do a little bit of rapid fire here, and then uh, we'll let you get on your way, Coach. Um, rapid fire is brought to you by the Hub Blacksburg. Sign your next lease at the Hub Apartment Homes and tell them the sun sent you. Uh, so, number one, favorite Virginia Tech memory? Oh, gosh. Uh, walking in the dorm the first time and uh, being a college football player at, um, at the Miles Hilton Hotel, that, that dorm was kind of special for all of us guys. But uh, going out on the field with Coach Jerry Claiborne the first time, was it's still, it's still a memory. And uh, Claiborne boys, is that the, uh, the group of folks who played for him? Is that like the name of the Yeah, I actually played for three. I played for Coach Claiborne, Charlie Coffey, and Jimmy Sharp. And uh, <laughs> we had, I think we had 54 guys in my freshman class on scholarship. And I think I was, I was the only one to make it to the third head coach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, music, what are your go-to tunes? You know, we are big Springsteen guys being from Jersey, but uh, what's on your iPod? Uh, I, I love, man, Jersey Shore rock, um, you know, but uh, I'm, I'm usually on a classic vinyl uh, Led Zeppelin and everybody that was that was hot in the seventies and uh, and uh, and then I straight back to Motown. Little Doobie Brothers too. Oh yeah, all the way, baby. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, you mentioned you're a fan of the basketball team. We love Coach Mike Young. He says we got the cold drinks waiting. Uh, when the cold drinks are waiting for Coach Arians, what is your cold joint cold drink of choice after the game? Oh, it's just Crown on the Rocks and a big one. <laughs> Coach, your favorite road stadium to visit? It was just it, Lam Lambeau Field. Lambeau, Lambeau Field. Field is a spectacular venue. Uh, to go up there and beat those guys uh, the other day was just – it was surreal. It was uh, – how loud – because the TV, it seemed pretty loud. Everybody was smacking their uh, – smacking the, the cardboard against the bleachers. It seemed like they had a pretty cool environment going on. It really there. was. only 9,000 people, but it was really uh, – I, I can't imagine if it was 81,000, but 9,000, they were really hell of a crowd. Absolutely. Uh, what's the who's the funniest player that you've ever coached? Oh well, Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning, funniest <laughs> oh, player man. you've ever coached. 
Yeah, the, those those commercials. That's him. That's just him Nationwide. being him. Nationwide is he, on your side. He's nuts. <laughs> so I got to ask you, Coach. I'm like I said, I am wearing the hat today. I you actually influenced the buying of this hat. You and Joe Friday, a former baseball player at Virginia Tech. I got to ask you, what started the the trend with this type of hat? Everybody calls it the Peaky Blinders hat. I call it the Bruce Arians hat. Kind of what what is the affinity to this uh, to this model of hat? Yeah, I mean, when I grew up in the streets of York, PA, everybody had a hat. And uh, this was my choice of a type of hat, you know, and um, everybody then New Era started making them for us. You know, the foundation, every hat that we sell, the proceeds go to the foundation. So I'm stuck wearing a hat for art forever now. Gotcha. And Pat, I know you wanted to, uh, to ask a little bit about the Arians Family Foundation. Um, yeah, was reading up on the Arians Family Foundation and just wanted to see, you know, can you highlight what it is and tell us how we can get involved? Yeah, it's AriasFamilyFoundation.com. Uh, my wife was a quarter reporter special advocate. It's uh, it's a special kid's voice for the children in uh, foster care in the court system through no fault of their own, either neglect or abuse. And um, this is a positive influence in their life. Uh, we, we try to raise as much money and awareness as we can for the guardian at items and the, and the CASAs uh, in about five different states that, that she was, that she worked in. And, uh, so it, uh, it's all about helping children who need help. Coach, really appreciate your time. What we'll do is we'll be sure to link the uh, foundation in the article. Um, wishing you nothing but the best of luck this weekend. You've done a great job representing uh, Hokie Nation. We appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can do this again soon sometime in the offseason. But best of luck and uh, really looking forward to watching next week. Appreciate it, guys. And go Hokies. Go Hokies. Take care. Go Hokies. Hey, guys. This is Ali Jennings III wide receiver for your Virginia Tech Hokies. When I committed to Virginia Tech football, I committed to the best. That's why I chose Harvey's GM in Radford. Why settle for less when you can have the best? Go to Harvey's GM for all of your vehicle needs. Tell them Ali sent you. That's Harvey's GM, Tyler Ave in Radford, or go to their website at harveysgm.com for more info. everybody friday january 29th it is 6 10 and 28 seconds p.m mountain standard time what time is it in paradise you at where you're where are you and what time is it 3 10 over here in paradise on the island of oahu honolulu hawaii waikiki beach is it sunny nice no clouds out on the beach today what do we got what are we working with yeah that ain't bad that ain't bad the waves rolling right in God, life is good, man. Life is good. Good for you. Can't complain, brother. <laughs> no complaints. Well, how are you doing, man? Lude, let's uh I'm fired up for you. What uh so since um since the UVA game just kind of catch us up to speed with what's uh with what's been going on. Well, yeah, right after UVA, um kind of cut us loose, went home for the holidays, enjoyed some time with my fam, enjoyed Christmas, New Year's and all that. Now I'm just been training up in Boston for the, you know, pre-draft um process and Kind of been crazy lately. I went down to the Tropical Bowl in Orlando, kind of um, spent a weekend there. And now I'm a week in Hawaii, so it's kind of broken up my training a little bit. But yeah. our, our pro day got pushed back to the 26th, so it works out. And all the stuff with the combine not happening, it, it'll all be fine, you know. Sure, absolutely. Um, man, that's awesome. So happy for you. A lot of good, not bad places to be. And we'll talk about Boston later. Everybody knows Boston, in my opinion, is the best, the best city in the United States of America. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. I want to start a little bit about uh, start about your 
just right, right at the beginning from Venice high school, right in Florida, mm-hmm. um, offers coming out of high school. You're looking at Pitt, Iowa state, UCF, USF, Purdue, and Virginia tech. I'm just curious when you were coming out, what were you really looking for, um, in the college that you were going to attend and what were some of the most important things you were looking for? So early on, like you hit it, um, this kid from South Florida, all I ever knew was the beach and just like, you know, having fun playing football. And early on, I really wanted to stay in Florida, but just that it just didn't seem like it was going out. Even in some like my junior year of high school, I kind of figured out that some of these Florida schools either didn't have the interest, coaches getting fired and this, that, and the third, like, I didn't really know what was going to happen, but ultimately I believe it was summer right before my senior year um early summer coach foster and uh, coach torian gray at the time came and uh, gave us a visit at the school talked to him for a little bit got offered pretty quickly and then all it took was one visit man i took a visit nc state game um it was a friday night pouring rain sold out crowd and it was freaking electric man and it and it was so funny like my dad and i were like at the game we're like yeah yeah we're this this was this was going down we're going to virginia tech and we like we didn't even see the campus we didn't, we didn't care. And then it turns out it's a beautiful campus, beautiful place. I mean, Blacksburg, Virginia, it's going to have my heart forever. But it all it took was just that one, one, one time going up there, man. I knew I was going to fall in love with it. So I don't want to take all the credit. So we'll lump this in. <laughs> we'll lump this into everybody. Talk to uh-huh. me about some of the most influential recruiters. Obviously, Coach Wiles played a huge part. Coach Foster, Coach oh, yeah. Gray. Talk, talk to me a little bit about kind of what let put what pushed you pushed you to that decision. Well, Coach Foster and Coach Wiles, especially. Coach Wiles came down to the school like my senior year often, man. He was he was there a lot, and just like the phone calls having it was genuine. Um, and I knew with Coach Foster, just like kind of that foundation that he already had, and I knew that you know his his job security and all that kind of stuff. I knew he was getting older, but it was funny because my the recruiting and stuff was crazy. Like I thought I was going here, that coach leaves. I'm I'm going here, that coach leaves, and then I'm so set on Virginia Tech. It's happening. Coach Beamer's retiring. We don't know what's going to happen. I was like, oh, my God, man. But, yeah. um, you know, obviously Coach Fu comes in and it all worked out. But ultimately, I think just the – and it wasn't even talking ball a lot of times. It was just Coach Wiles just showing me love and just, like, treating me like like a young adult, treating me like family. Same with Coach Foster. And that's why I always felt with Virginia Tech. I mean, I wasn't just some kid that – they, you know what I'm saying? They wanted me for life. They wanted like, to build a relationship and actually have, like, a family atmosphere. And that's what always drove me to Virginia Tech. I think that's what's so special. I was talking to um, my buddy Dave about this the other day. It's just different like that. A lot of folks you talk to that go to other schools, that relationship lasts four to five years and then it ends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have a home at Virginia Tech and, you know, oh, yeah. old staff, new staff. It's consistent. You can always it's it literally is always home. And it's been a best decision that I've ever made. I know you feel the same way. Um, oh, yeah. And just a, just a special, special place. So then talk to me a little bit about how you approached it. Um, you know, you're kind of, you've been labeled, I know Ricky Walker got the first, the bell cow kind of, uh, -hmm. connotation, but the one thing that always stood out about you was, uh, to me was your approach to the weight room, uh, you approach that every single day and, uh, multiple hard hat awards and multiple, uh, the big old bronze hokey awards as well. How did you approach the weight room and how did you really kind of, um, try to separate yourself from everybody else that we had in that defensive line room? Well, cause I know, you know, what I can bring to the table physically, I guess. Um, I'm not six, five and I'm not 340 pounds. I know that if I'm going to separate myself and actually be a good college football player, it's going to have to happen in the weight room before anything else. I'm going to have to make strides in the weight room and kind of show and prove my worth. And that originated and started when I was in high school. Um, 
So he actually started as my neighbor. His name is Mark Cristiani. He was a former Army Ranger, went and played football at Eastern Kentucky. He kind of taught me how to lift weights properly, how to attack the weight room each and every day, how to properly hydrate, get sleep, rest, protein, all that kind of stuff. He kind of instilled that in me that like before I even got to college. And um, and it was just crazy story. Like my dad was coaching high school football at the time. And he, Mark Cristiani was at the high school playing for him. He lived down the street and babysat me as a little kid. And then ultimately he comes back from serving in the army um, right around when I'm in high school, he becomes a high school coach at Venice high school where my dad was coaching him. So it just turned like, you know what I'm saying? It was like, just crazy how it all played out. And you know, I love that guy to death. And that's who really taught me everything about the weight room. And then once I got to Virginia Tech, I mean, I don't know how anyone can not like the atmosphere that Ben Hilgar and Crosby and Schumann, all those guys bring. I mean, since the first day, I absolutely fell in love with the, the strength staff at Virginia Tech. And there's a big reason why I even had, you know, any success at all in the college levels because of those guys. Just the absolute best in the business. And again, a ton of fun to be around. I mean, I remember that first, uh, the first time that we got snow running through the snow, they're good trudging through the snow in their shorts and their t-shirts. Um, <laughs> it's a fun, uh, it's a fun environment. Talk to me a little bit about the differences or, uh, kind of what you took both from coach Wiles and then coach tap and coach Tierlink. um, mm-hmm. what they taught you, how were they different? How were they similar and how have they taken your game, uh, forward? So yeah, coach Wiles, just a, just a, a seasoned veteran. Like he's seen it all. They, I mean, him and coach Foster were coaching in the nineties when it was I formation power left power, right. I, so, you know what I'm saying? All that kind of stuff. And they were able to adapt into a whole new scheme that they had to, to approach it and, and eventually like defeat, you know? And just with their knowledge and kind of like um, just history of guys that they've brought in, I think that plays a big part in like how they were successful as coaches. Coach Wiles, you know him, man. He's he's a type of guy that just that loves you, that cares about you. You know what I'm saying? He's not the type of guy that needs to get on you really hard to get his point across or stuff like that. You know what I mean? And then once he left, I mean, it was kind of like, oh, man, like that, that's my guy. Like that's that's the guy that got me here, you know. And but then Tap and Tierlane came and dude, those those dudes are freaking fireballs man they're, they're just like 24 7 they're just lit just going 100 miles an hour and um knowledge that they have is just you know obviously the nfl experience and all that kind of stuff and i think they did a really good job of kind of watching film and putting us in better situations to succeed just pre-snap and kind of just little tips and things that i think that just the nfl experience kind of like gave them and ultimately it was a really really fun year just at each day in day out they made it a blast to go play for those guys schematically i remember i called you um called you i think uh uh during whenever spring practice was supposed to be um Mm -hmm. and you said the most fired up you were about was schematically you were going to be in position to play all across the defensive line so how do you think that a schematic change there was able Mm -hmm. to prepare you for the next level and just kind of talked a little bit about the differences there yeah, um, their philosophy was like just go 100%. Tier link, and it's funny, he's got a funny voice. He's always like, Every play is third and long, go get the quarterback. He doesn't care. Like, every freaking play is third and long, go get the quarterback. And, um, and I think ultimately it just made me a better pass rusher, kind of made me more fluent in my hands, kind of, um, kind of reiterating what I said before, just so much pre recognition, like pre snap reason, all that kind of stuff, and then. Tap was the kind of guy that was a real technician and kind of tell you exactly your hand placement, where your feet need to be, where your step needs to be, all that kind of stuff. And then Tierlink kind of gave the broad aspect of like the concept of the defense. And schematically, um, not too much difference from Bud's defense. I know it's back towards the end of the year, we kind of got back to some of that stuff. We used to play a lot of like man free and all that kind of stuff in the back end. 
But um, same philosophy, I think, just a little different tweaks in and out as far as what Coach Hamilton brought to the table as a whole defense than what Coach Foster had before. Switching from coaches to players, you had the opportunity to play alongside some really, really awesome dudes. And I'm mm-hmm. curious what guys had the most impact on you as a player or as a person, whether it's you know, Ricky Walker was a fantastic leader, oh, yeah. Tim Settle, you know, doing amazing things in the NFL now, Kenny Can. Yeah. Who are some of the guys that really kind of mentored you and made you into the player you are today? So real early on, my redshirt year, Woody Barron, that was a guy that took me under under his wing and, and kind of like, you know, like took pride and just like, I don't know, just showing me the ropes a little bit. And he was just such a pro and he was, he was so, so good to me early on. And then he left and Ricky Walker was just a freaking bell cow, man. Every single day that dude was just putting in work. And um, I think he, he set a real good example for me going forward. And obviously as um, I got a little bit older, me and Ricky got closer and eventually started um, side by side in uh, 2018. And then, Another guy I got to mention too is Andrew uh, Matua Pawaka. Even though we don't, he he was a linebacker, man. That guy was always showing me love, giving me tips, kind of just like, just like work ethic stuff, how to carry myself. So I've I've had a really really good time, just like just so many good football players and so many good dudes that I'm just gonna you know love and remember for the rest of my life. And then over that time when you finally it's you're, you're stepping in and you're the you're the bell cow, you're the leader of the team in a year that's been unlike any other, we're going to start to get into 2020, 2021 here. How did yeah. you try to lead the team? How did you try to, you know, impose yourself as a leader and help and just keep everybody together? I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine what it was like to, to try to, you know, bond and get together and yeah. get the hard stuff that you're going to have to get mm-hmm. through, whether it is the Colorado's or the summer workouts or the back-to-back weeks with no bye week um, yeah. how, how did you kind of approach that? Man, early on, it was tough, like everything going on in our country with not even just COVID, the social injustices and all that kind of stuff going on. It was so hard to just like to gel together as a team. The time that we were away, like it was just just lost so much of the the, the spring, the summer conditioning when like that bond really happens. And you go through some of the worst times you go through 300 yard shuttles and, and, and like the repeat sprints with Coach Hilgard. That's when you find each other. And that's when you kind of grasp each other know that like yeah I got his back he's got my back and all that kind of stuff when we got back during camp it was just like we all got thrown into the fire and it was just I just try to set an example of just like man who cares like we're here like you know what I'm saying we, we got such a good football team like we can go run the table like that's what we just got to get focused back in and I just try to every single day just have fun and, and show the guys that like you know we're, we're here to play ball man the season's happening we got to go and you know like I said throughout the season we kind of up and down, up and down, and ultimately got the win versus Virginia. And I was, you know, I was so happy that night. And just the smile on all of our faces in the locker room, really. It, it was worth all, all the all the things that we had to go through, getting the freaking sticks shoved up our noses three times a week, just dealing with all that kind of stuff. So, man, it, it was tough, but we tried to just make the most out of it. So I don't think this has been talked about enough, um, just about, like, the specific challenges that everyone has gone through. Um, as you look back at this year – what were some of the most challenging things and how did the coaching staff and even the strength staff kind of adjust the way that they trained you? Cause I, I I'm assuming that it wasn't oh, yeah. the same type of regiment. How did you guys kind of adjust and what was the most challenging part about it? I think that the most challenging part was probably camp because we didn't have a summer and like, you know, some guys were training real hard. Some guys had no access to any weights at all. And like we showed up for camp and like guys, everybody's out of shape. No one was ready to go. And, and then, Next thing you know, we all like the COVID train started happening. We're losing guys left and right. And 
you're asking guys, you know, young freshmen. I mean, got guys like Dorian Strong, going to be a hell of a player, but he's out there and just so, such a short time. He's like starting versus UNC. You know what I'm saying? It's like a, a big time school, and just like it was just kind of wild that how it all played out. And ultimately, our first two games get canceled. NC State cancels, then we had to cancel versus UVA just because of the COVID numbers, and it was just wild to like. I didn't know if we were see guys. After, no, after we had no the idea. Canceled. I was like, I don't even know if we're gonna play ball this year. No, and that's not a tough thing too. It's like, geez, we got a you know a twenty four period practice, and we don't really know if we're gonna play. Like guys' minds aren't into it, and when that when that kind of stuff happens, and you guys might be going half speed, that's when people get hurt, and it's on everybody's mind. Like, geez, I gotta go do this middle drill or net drill or anything like that. And I don't even know if I'm gonna play. And that was the type of stuff that we, we needed just guys to like just to buy in. And it was really, really tough to do that during time. So I'd say the toughest, the toughest obstacle was probably camp just getting through that, that grind of it. And then how did they adjust it? How did coach Hilgart and coach Crosby and coach Schumann, how, how did they modify what you were doing? I mean, the, the one thing that came to my mind when you guys started camp is anytime you go back and usually thank God it's in February or it's in July, mm-hmm. you're able to, get that soreness out before you're actually having practice. You guys are going through the, I can't feel my legs and you're doing 24 hour practices. Did they modify the way that they trained you at all? Or did they have different ways of recovery? So recovery was a big emphasis, but um, so we got back in like early July, I think maybe it was in late June. And we had this like two week period of like, kind of um, like kind of camp and like no one was in, we were practicing. Like, I think it was like 14 period practices weights and meetings all throughout it it wasn't as long or as tough as like you know what i'm saying such a, a long schedule and we kind of just try to like ease our way into it day by day through this like two-week period and i mean it, it, it helps just like getting guys back in shape and all but like you know what i'm saying just just that like you said like going through camp like there's nothing like it and and without that time it, it was tough something that i've kind of harped on this season was people don't understand how important the months of June and July are where you're having the, where you're working out with the strength coaches, but more importantly, you have the player led practices. Uh And, you know, this whole season I was thinking about guys like Khalil Herbert, Justice Reed, Mm -hmm. um, the the newcomers that come in that, that are older and uh, are going to be impact players, but they don't have that June and July. How are they able to kind of get up to speed uh, in such a short period of time and just kind of speak to how important I've been trying to tell people June and July oh are more important than August is and more important than April and May are it's it's by 100%. far the most important couple months so how are they able to get up to speed well yeah Joel June and July man it's that like you said those player run practices they're the most important things that we have because it shows like the type of leadership that we'll have on the team who's going to put the you know what I'm saying themselves forward who's going to be running drills who's going to be helping run the seven on seven who's going to be doing all that kind of stuff and like you said, those those incoming guys, like I first of all, I can't say enough about those guys. Khalil, um, Devin Taylor, um, Justice Reed, and probably missing a few more that that were able to transfer in. Like those guys just like came and they're ready to work. All they want to do is just go win football games. And and it showed with their play on the field. And, you know, I really respect those guys for, you know, just just the things that they had to go through, just like transferring during the COVID year was probably ridiculous just in general. Like they're trying to get back in, in January, February, whenever, and they can't do that. They're just at home. They're like, okay, I'm going to Virginia tech, but I'm not at Virginia tech. You know what I'm saying? And, and they, they did such a good job just coming in and grasping the program. And they really became Hokies. All those guys that came in and transferred and helped us out. I got to ask you, 
about mm-hmm. who we have coming up the ranks here on the defensive line. Most importantly, if Pat Finn were here, he'd be asking about Amari Barno, excited about mm-hmm. Kendricks, excited about Pollard. Just kind of talk to me about some of the guys that um, are well-known or are may not be as well-known that you're really excited mm-hmm. to kind of watch take over here moving moving forward. Well, I mean, you got to start with Barno, man. The dude's a freak. Like, I remember during camp, we uh, they got him in the D-line room, and it was so funny. Like, each day, you know, Omari would just like – God, like the technique and all that wasn't there, but he's just making the play. Like, we don't know how he's doing it. And Tierlink would be like, oh, yeah, you don't know what you're doing. You've been here 10 minutes. You don't know what you're doing. And then they're just like, you just go play. You just go play. And uh, <laughs> that dude's going to be uh, an absolute freak. A whole offseason with Tierlink, Hilgard getting him right. He's already a, a freak, you know, physically and all that. But down the line, you got Neural Pollard. I mean, he's, he's got all the talent in the world. He came in as a freshman, was able to play, really contribute in 2019. Mario Kendricks, man, he's a bull, and he and that kid's he's ready to take that next step. He's ready to take that next step and be a full time, you know what I'm saying? ACC Division One freaking baller, you know what I'm saying? He's got all the intangibles, the strength, the speed, the size, all that kind of stuff. Really excited for him. Um, and EB EB's coming back, you know. He he had a rough time, you know. He had a lot of injuries dealing with. He had a lot of stuff going on. I'm excited for him to get a full offseason into and, and and really showcase what he can do. And then um, Josh Fuga, young guy, hungry. He has a lot of fire. He wants to do better. He's always asking, hey, on this, like, he's, he always wants to have film. He always wants to, you know, learn a little bit more, know what he did wrong, know what he did right, all that kind of stuff. So I'm really excited for him. Um, and he got a new transfer. I think Jordan Williams from Clemson is going to be big time. He was a Virginia kid. I'm not sure exactly where he was from, but big time pickup for them. You know, future's real bright, man. Future's real bright in the defensive line room. I got to ask you, I ask everybody, um, favorite Coach Fuente story and just your relationship with Coach Fuente? Coach Fuente's story. Well, man, I do have a great relationship with Fu. I mean, that's my guy. Um, I just remember early on, I don't know if it's my favorite story, but it just always stuck with me. I was a, a redshirt freshman. It was weak. I don't know when it was getting cold out. And you know what it's like as a young kid, you're kind of on scout team. And sometimes you can kind of feel like I'm just kind of a practice dummy here and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm just standing there one day and he's kind of like walking across the field. And I see him walking directly towards me at the time. Like, I don't really know him that well. He's my head coach. And he just looked at me and he's like, you know, it's going to be your time in there one day. And he pointed right in the lane. And he was like, you better be ready when it is. And then just walked right away from me. I was like, I was like, wow. I was like, it just stuck with me forever because at the time, like I said, you kind of just feel like a freshman just going through the motions a little bit. And for him just to kind of go up and, and say that to me, I was like, man, that, that meant a lot to me. And then what about Coach uh, Coach Hamilton? I know you had familiarity with him on the staff before. What kind of energy does he bring? If you had to describe him as a as a coach to somebody asked you, what is it like to play for Coach mm-hmm. Hamilton? How would you describe it? Man, that dude, that dude's legit, man. He he's I'll never forget the team meeting 2019 season. Um, when we obviously know Coach Fo- Coach Foster was retiring, it was the end of the year before the bowl game. And Coach Fuente was like, you know, we had to address the need for a defensive uh, coordinator position. He's standing right in here and it's Justin or Justin Hamilton. And like we literally the entire defense, I was on my feet clapping, standing up, like going nuts because we didn't know who it was going to be. And just to know that like he like that was the guy, it, it meant anything to us. And he's just a guy that just like, I don't really know how to explain it. Like he's just such a, a genuine good coach. Like he cares about you. He cares so much about you. And he's a very good public speaker. I don't know if you ever heard him give a speech before. That dude is on point. His his um his uh pregame speeches, pregame meal speeches are freaking unreal i mean the dude just he's 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 a smooth he's a smooth coach man he knows what he's doing he's played the game played under bud 
he's a hokey like through and through and there's there was no one better for the job than, than him at that time that's awesome here i didn't know about the uh i didn't know about the announcement that's fantastic but when it but it, when it was announced i mean everyone's like yeah obviously this is this is this is perfect and excited for yep. him to finally be able to get the opportunity to get out and recruit and talk to talk to players and get out and build that relationship in virginia so that's going to be awesome um no but Hewitt, look, we're coming down to rapid fire here. Uh, excited for rapid fire. We got some fun ones in here. Oh, rapid boy. fire is brought to you by the Chesapeake Center for Complete Dentistry. By the way, if you haven't, check out the Cornell Effect, written by our good friend, Dr. John Cranham. Fantastic read. Check that out as well. And we interviewed him in our previous podcast. Speaking of which, Hewitt, I know you're a big Bucks fan, and you're going to be on the same podcast as our uh as as our other hokey bruce arians so you know i gotta get first and foremost what is your super bowl prediction super bowl prediction tom brady's not going out there with an l he's he's getting a dub he's getting a dub super bowl prediction bucks got an underrated defense they got a star state the middle linebacker is awesome jpp former super bowl champion with the new york giants people are sleeping on the bucks defense Mm -hmm. so score prediction 35-31, 35-31, Bucks win it. Either either defense gets a stop real late or Tom Brady drives down last few minutes and gets the game-winning touchdown or field goal, whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? I think it's going to be tight. 35-31, probably somewhere in that somewhere in that area. Kind of a bummer. They're playing at home for the first time. You're going to be freezing in Boston lifting some weights. I know you got you got bigger and better things to do, but the first time they're playing at home, it's got to be Ridiculous. this year. What are you going to do? Yeah. Favorite condiment or sauce, Mr. Hewitt? Hot sauce. Frank's hot sauce. Easily. I know you're a big public pub sub guy. What is the go-to pub sub choice? Chicken tender sub on white. Have the chicken tenders uh, tossed in buffalo. Smoke chipotle gouda cheese. Have it baked. Come back out. Lettuce, ranch, salt, and pepper. Sounds like you've ordered that quite a bit. Uh, Favorite favorite place to eat in Blacksburg? Ooh. It's technically Christiansburg, but I love Farmhouse. Farmhouse is incredible. I mean, I love farmhouse too, but you got to stick to the black. Give me, give okay, me your okay, Blacksburg, okay. Pick. your Blacksburg pick. Cabo, Cabo fish taco. Cabo fish taco. Who is the best player you played against in college, and the best player you played against in high school? Um, I think ultimately you got to probably say Trevor Lawrence played against him this past year. High school, um, running back. He's at Iowa State now. His name's Johnny Lang. Played at uh. Manatee High School. The kid was a baller when we played against him. What is your go-to order from Sharkies? Ooh, um, what is it? The Hangover Burger with the fried egg. Hold the uh, hold the Texas uh, toast, just regular bun with the, with the fries, big time. Never had that before. I'm gonna have to do that. That's a first. That's a first time answer for us. Oh, so we're rolling it down. Letters from the lunch pail, brought to you by the Hub. Hewitt, I know you're missing out. The Hub is brand new, just been built. If you guys need a place to stay, you want a wonderful place to be at, the Hub in Blacksburg, look no further. Please check them out, the Hub in Blacksburg. First question, Grant Watson, can you describe the energy that Tap and Tierlink brought with their coaching styles and what's the biggest lesson that you learned from Bud Foster? Um, well, their energy is just unmatched. They're, they're going nuts all day, every day. Our individual drills were so much fun, and whether it be racing through the bags or trying to race and, and, and hit tap with the, with the, uh, with the arm bags and tackle them to the ground. Um, ultimately just describe them as just, just fireballs. Um, and then the biggest lesson I learned from coach Foster, he always said this, especially around uh, Thanksgiving time. And it went like, 
the best gift you can give is of yourself to your brother. I think that's exactly how it went. Um, just pretty much saying that give everything you got, so not, not, not to, not to coach foster or coach whoever, give it to the guy right next to you that, that that's going to need everything you have and your best at all times. Sean Kim came in with a couple of rapid fire questions. Are there any players that you model your game after? Um, the, the, the easy answer, I guess, would be like Aaron Donald, but I don't, I think Grady Jarrett, defensive tackle for um, for the uh, Atlanta Falcons. The guy's just a bruiser, man. He, he, he knows how to get it done. We're similar size, too, so I'd say Grady Jarrett. Biggest fundamental difference between Jay Ham and Coach Foster's defense? Fundamental difference? Um, I, I would guess maybe just the, the, the man free, the man coverage with coach Foster, I guess. And, you know, I don't get too involved with the coverages and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's a fundamental difference. I'm not even like sure exactly. Cause there, there was differences and similarities. And, you know, I think ultimately they both said like the same type of thing, you know what I'm saying? Sell out, run to the football, like, you know what I'm saying? 11 guys to the, to the ball at all times. So I, I, I don't really have an exact answer, I guess. What about your pregame meal? Are you going potatoes? Are you going pasta? What are you going pancakes? What was the I that's pretty much the entire mm-hmm. option. Yeah. What what was what was your pick? Didn't matter if it was a noon game, 3:30 or 7. I'm going potatoes. But potatoes. I missed potatoes. That was the bottom line of the bowl. Oh man, I was a I was a pasta guy. I'm surprised you went with the potatoes. Um what advice do you have for incoming recruits? Advice I have for incoming recruits? Um I would say nowadays and, and, you know, the day and age of social media can kind of boost yourself up a little bit and kind of like make it seem like kind of it's all about you, you, you and, and getting the, the recognition, all that stuff is great and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I would think just just try to put your teammates before yourself. I think ultimately that's going to make you such a better player and, and a better person. Even if you think that I'm spending so much time helping out you know, somebody else, whether it's the weight room or just whatever it is, I think ultimately just going to overall just make yourself a better person, a better football player. Last two from T00SM. What are the differences in staffs from your time as a player with Coach Beamer and Coach Fuente? Well, I got recruited by Beamer. Um, I actually never was in the building while he was still a head coach. Um, I do, I mean, you know about the Colorados, that, that first go around. And I think that probably coach Fuente's attention to detail and, and, his, and his urgency with just everything, every single thing we do and just having to be on point all the time, I guess would say it was probably that kind of that difference. Sasha Heyer asks, I'm interested in this <laughs> one. Is this, is it true that you ran the anchor in the four by 100? It, that is true. I got video documentation. I was flying. Did you I have a flying. bad four by 100 team or were you just really good at it? So it was the big man realized coach hire. He's uh he was the offensive line coach uh, when I was at Venice high school and he, he, and he taught um shot and disc and the big man realized, dude, he took so much pride in it, man. We had some big boys and there was teams cheating. They had freaking guys that threw discs that were playing running back and all this other stuff um, that were running the anchor too, but we did our best, but Hey man, that was, that was a, that was a solid group right there. That four by one team is legendary. Cue it, man. I appreciate, I appreciate your time. I'm so freaking proud of you, man. It's just awesome to see everything that you're doing and just, uh, 
being great and doing everything that you're doing. So I got I got to tip my cap to you. I'm proud. Come a long way from from that visit back whenever the hell that was years and years and years yeah. ago. It's been a it's been yep. a joy to watch uh, to watch your career take off and um, excited to see what's next for you. And I guess my last question for you is um, whenever football does does stop, do you know what you want to do next? Coach football. Coach football. I know you had some interest in doing in doing some weight room stuff. Do you want to yep. coach D line specifically? What specifically do you want to do? Yeah, it's the strength stuff, man. It's still like I would just love to be like I can just see myself being like a head strength coach, just just like Coach Hilgar. That would just be so much fun. And then there's a side of me that just could see like I couldn't imagine like going and recruiting a kid to come to your school, and then him getting a, a degree, rather not even going out to leave, but just like changing someone's life like that. It's just like would just be so incredible for me. So I still have some time to think on it, you know, hopefully, hopefully I have a successful career. Hopefully it all works out. So I don't have to make that decision soon enough, but um, we'll see coaching in any aspect, whether it's strength conditioning or just football, I'm definitely going to want to get back into coaching. And last but not least, shout outs, Hewitt. Who do you got to shout out? What do you got going on? What do you got to plug? Who do I have to shout out? Um, probably, sh- I don't know. Me and him were having a conversation earlier. Probably shout out my man, Dax Hollyfield. Keep pulling it down out there. Get the boys right. It's Colorado season. Keep them going. And, you know, um, that's, that, that's my guy right there, man. Wish none for the best for him. He's going to be a freaking baller this year. Can't wait to see all that he does. Hewitt, I'm going to not take any more sometimes, uh, sometime time away from you anymore. Enjoy Honolulu. Love you. Got a lot of love for you. Best of luck. Stay healthy. And, uh, oh, I got to ask. Review from Boston. What is your what is your report card for for uh, for Boston? Place is sweet, man. I mean, it's, it's freaking cold. Oyster House. I know it's cold. Union Oyster House, big time, big time. I've I told had some uh, what is uh, some clam chowder there. It was incredible, absolutely you got, incredible. You got the cornbread too, right? <laughs> Duh. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Hewitt, take care of yourself, man. Enjoy yourself. Be safe, and we'll uh, we'll talk real soon. Best of luck, my friend. Hey, love you, man. Appreciate you having me on. And before I leave, I got to let you know that soul patch is on 10,000, brother. You think so? All right, good. All right. I I need that. I'm not shaving it. Okay, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it. Why would you? No, I'm not. I I get a couple looks on the Zoom meetings for Twilio, (laughs) but that's fine. It's a conversation starter. Appreciate you, big dog. Yes, sir. Have a good one, man. Appreciate it. Welcome back into Sons of Saturday Hoops Pod. My name is Mike McDaniel, joined by Ed Williams. Ed, we recorded right before the Syracuse game uh, last week. I, I don't know if that ever got posted. I know that Billy and the gang are out snowboarding in Denver and not really living up to their responsibilities. Billy, I hope you <laughs> listen to this. Just, just so just so you know, I Billy. took a shot at you. Um, Billy's out there just rolling around in the snow, playing with foxes, doing all kinds of weird stuff. So yeah, I'm not sure if that episode ever made it on, but yeah, um, Billy, Billy's to never going to work now. again. He's never going to work again, Ed. Yeah. I don't know what those guys are doing out there, man. They've been yeah. there for a long time. Yeah. Having a good time though, for sure. Um, anyway, uh, so we, we hit record right before Syracuse. Um, we figured we would use this podcast today to talk about the Syracuse game last weekend, obviously the Radford suspension, and then the Notre Dame game uh, that ended in a Virginia Tech victory, and most importantly, the UVA game that just got played last night as we sit here recording on Sunday the 31st. 
Uh, Tech just upset number eight, Virginia. So we'll get into all that as well. Uh, But first, let's talk about the Syracuse game. Uh, Ed, on that last podcast we recorded, we discussed this being a tricky spot for the Hokies because Syracuse is a team that plays a defense that you don't ordinarily see, right? And and the zone that Bayheim employs is, you know, well-documented in how difficult it is for opponents when they don't see it very often. Well, Virginia Tech goes up to the Carrier Dome and loses to Syracuse in truthfully one of the most uninspiring efforts of the season um it was not a very good game for the Hokies they lost by 18 78 to 60 the long and short of it is the Hokies really couldn't make a shot in the first half um they hung around for a bit but then really went cold in the second half and had a bunch of defensive breakdowns that's the best way I can describe what happened at a 10,000 foot level but Ed what were your takeaways from that Syracuse loss last Saturday and Obviously, there have been two games since then, and Tech's won both of them. But, you know, was there anything that you took away from that Syracuse game that could be problematic for the Hokies the rest of the year with, with some of the remaining teams on the schedule? I'm not really sure if it's like an ongoing issue that we're going to face. But anytime you play Syracuse, first of all, it's kind of boring to watch. And unless you're able to get into a really good rhythm early, going against that defense in the zone, is just it's just not something people are used to. Um, but in order to beat a zone, you got to shoot him out of it and shooting 32% from the field and 27% from three, obviously is not going to get it done. Um, the Hokies also didn't play very good defense. You know, Syracuse shot 50% for the game and 30% from three. Um, you know, they had multiple guys, they had four guys in double figures. Um, so it was just all around kind of a bad effort. Kelly Aluma had two points. Um, Jalen Cohn, I think was one of nine from the field, one of eight from three. Those are two of your more dynamic scores. Uh, so all around, it just wasn't a good effort. Um, as Chris Himes from Locks of Saturday likes to say, never expect too much when Virginia Tech is playing in the Carrier Dome in any sport. So um, that's kind of one where halfway through it, I was getting very uh, Penn State vibes. And I was just yeah. like, let's just try to keep this as close as we can because it wasn't going well. Um, There's just no, no sort of, you know, synergy on offense. It was just kind of broken offense after broken offense, no real like consistency. Um, the one bright spot for the Hokies was Naheem Aline played really well. He shot the ball really well, um, five of 10 from three with 20 points. Uh, other than that, though, I mean, David Ingasson had 10 and Tyrese Radford had 10. Nobody else got into double figures. It was just all around kind of a kind of a slow effort from Virginia Tech. Aline was one of seven from two, which was which is very odd. He was five of 10 from three, one of seven for two. He was six of 17 overall. Um, his three-point shooting kept the Hokies in it for a while. I mean, he was really the only source of offense. And this has become a trend now for Virginia Tech where when the Hokies go cold, it tends to be a different guy every night. But it's like one guy on the roster tends to keep the Hokies in games recently when the rest of the offense is really doing anything. Uh, Naheem Aline was that guy for a while in the Syracuse game, but it was a really lackluster defensive effort. That was my takeaway from it. Um, obviously, Aluma and, and Cone didn't shoot the ball particularly well. Naheem Aline kept him in for a while, but just the, the defense just was not very good. Um, Wabissa Beatty only playing 14 minutes might have had something to do with that on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, we've, we've talked about this, Ed, when Beatty's on the floor. He offers you a very low ceiling offensively. Um, 
a high floor because of what he can do as far as like producing for his teammates. But as far as creating his, his own shot, we know to this point now he's in his fourth year with tech that he's not going to be a guy who is going to go out and, and get his on the offensive end every night. But when he's off the floor, the defense takes a significant step back. Um, he only played 14 minutes in this game. Hunter Couture played a ton. Um, he played 28 minutes, and he's been really good for Tech lately, but was not particularly good in this game on the offensive end anyway. Only had six points on one of five shooting. Uh, so, yeah, just a bad game for Virginia Tech. I, I'm with you. I, I think the, the takeaway for me from this game is that Tech needs to find a way to snap themselves out of these elongated cold stretches that they tend to go through um, in some of these games. Like, we're seeing Tech go five six seven minutes sometimes without making a basket and that is problematic if you're not playing great defense now to tech's credit for much of this season um, they've been a very good defensive team this is a game that it didn't turn out that way but virginia tech's and most defensive metrics they've been a top 20 defense this year so they've been very good on that end of the floor defensive efficiency has been good uh but you know, when that breaks down and they're not making any shots, you're going to get this kind of result, just like we saw against Penn State earlier this year. So this was a tough loss for the Hokies, and it was made a bit more difficult uh, a couple days later when we found out that Tyrese Radford had been suspended from the team indefinitely. Uh, Radford was arrested uh, early Sunday morning. So this is the night of the Syracuse game. They get back to Blacksburg, and he goes out. Uh, he was arrested overnight for driving while intoxicated and concealed weapon carry. Um, those are two misdemeanors in the state of Virginia, but he was suspended indefinitely. Uh, we haven't really gotten clarity on his status as to whether or not he'll be back. I know that they're, the, the program is waiting for the legal ramifications of it to play out. The one thing I will say is that Mike Young mentioned on his postgame presser last night for the Virginia game that you know, when, when Radford was mentioned, he said, we're heading in a good direction there. So I'm not particularly sure what that means, but it sounds like there is some optimism that perhaps Radford could be back a bit sooner than we think. Uh, but obviously not not great for Radford, Ed. And as long as he's out, I know Virginia Tech's 2-0. and We'll get into these other two games in a second that they've played since he's been out. But when you don't have Radford on the floor, I feel like that's eventually going to catch up with Tech. Yeah, I don't really want to harp on it too much because it's obviously a really unfortunate situation for, you know, the team and for Tyrese as an individual. Um, I, I just, you know, it really makes you wonder why why a 21-year-old kid in Blacksburg, Virginia, feels the need to, you know, be armed. Um, right. So I, I just hope he's able to stay around his support system in Blacksburg and, you know, his teammates and his coaches, and they're able to kind of guide him through this and get him to where he needs to be. Um because he's, from all accounts, seems like a really good kid and a really good player, obviously. But, you know, the person comes first in this situation. Yep. And, yeah, Mike Young made it sound pretty optimistic, um, you know, for the legal outlook, at least. Um, so, yeah, it's really unfortunate. But so far, at least, they've been able to, you know, step up in different areas and, you know, perform and put out two good wins. I mean, um, a couple of days later after that news, we're all kind of like, oh, is this team a tournament team anymore? Blah, blah, blah. Well, it turns out, yeah, they're still pretty good. Um, they, handle, they handle Notre Dame pretty easily. Um, you know, everybody contributed. It was a, it was a full team effort. 14 from Aluma, 14 from Mutz, 15 from Moline, 13 from Contour off the bench. Um, just all around, top to bottom, really good game. 
Uh, it was interesting to see um, Coach Young put Jalen Cohn in the starting lineup in place of Tyrese Radford. I think a lot of people thought that might be Hunter Couture, um, but he really likes Couture's offense coming off the bench, clearly. So um, it was a really interesting move there. Worked out nice. Um, I do wonder if it somewhat contributes to why Jalen was struggling so much because um, all of a sudden he just forgot how to shoot the ball again until the you know, second half of the Virginia game. But Hunter Couture played great off the bench. Um, he had all 13 of our bench points in the Notre Dame game. And it was just an all-around good team effort. Um, their defense was so much better. Part of that is because Notre Dame's, you know, struggling this year. They're two and six in conference at the time of that game. But um, the defense looked really good and locked in. The offense was much more fluid and open than, you know, what you come to expect. So great game. Uh, Justin Mutz played really, really well in the Notre Dame game. He had a double-double. Huge uh, second half. Alumo. Yeah, he was great. He finished with 14 and 11, and um, Aluma finished with 14 and 12. And Himaline, uh 15 and 9 rebounds. So he stepped up from the rebounding in the guard area, uh, something that we knew would be lacking once Tyrese Radford was out. So great game from, you know, those three guys in particular, but all-around good team effort. It was interesting because Mike Young in the post game said he wasn't thrilled with how the offense played in this game, which, I mean, Tech shot 40%, certainly not their worst effort. You mentioned four guys in double figures, three of those guys being starters in Aluma, Mutz, and Aline. Couture contributing all 13 bench points. I thought this was a solid win against Notre Dame. It was never really in doubt. Like, Notre Dame in the first matchup in Blacksburg hung around for a while. Uh, Virginia Tech won that game by 14. I, I believe that was back on January 10th, if I'm not mistaken. Um that was a game where Tech, I thought, played pretty well, and I thought Notre Dame played well. I remember Ed Weir texting at the time. We were like, man, this Notre Dame team looks a bit better than their record with the way that they were playing in that game. This game felt different. I mean, Tech, without Radford, one of their best players, goes out and just effectively sits on Notre Dame. I mean, they're up by nine at halftime and then just kind of kept them at bay the entire second half. Notre Dame never really threatened. Um, this was a game that... I never thought Tech was really in danger of losing. And that felt different from the first matchup in Blacksburg. Yeah, they were almost kind of on cruise control. Um, it did kind of feel like, you know, the Hokies obviously played really well and made them Notre Dame take some really bad shots. But Notre Dame also shot 16% from three in this game. Um, yeah. They're just they're just not very dynamic offensively. We held their best players seven. Um, if it weren't for Hub, it wouldn't have even been close as close as it even was. I mean, he had 22. Nobody else in the whole team scored in double figures. So um, they were really just kind of carried by one guy who kept them within somewhat of striking distance. I think Virginia Tech was just kind of on cruise control and went out and handled business in a game where I think a lot of fans were a little nervous and not sure what to expect without Tyrese Radford. Yeah, I agree. Um, you're right about the defensive effort, too. Like, Notre Dame is not a very dynamic offensive team, but even so, Virginia Tech, I thought, defended the three-point line very well. I thought it was one of their best defensive games of the season, and 51 points by Notre Dame, that was the lowest output by a Virginia Tech opponent this season from a scoring standpoint. So, certainly one of Tech's better games defensively this year, and um, overall, a, a real solid win. Jalen Cohn, you mentioned, you know, in the starting lineup, does that contribute to, you know, his poor shooting effort. He was one of nine. Uh, we mentioned uh, initially in that game that Tech played against Syracuse. He comes out and follows that up with a one for six effort when he's inserted into the starting lineup. Really hit a cold streak uh, the last few games and and wasn't very good. I believe that was a Wake Forest game um, before Syracuse. He, I don't think he even scored in that game. Um, he struggled there as well. So, you know, Cone in the middle of a cold streak. We're going to talk about this Virginia game in a second, but.
you know, Tech's going to need him to kind of come back and shoot the ball the way that he's capable of. I'm not really too concerned about Cone overall. I mean, he's he's going to knock down shots. I mean, he's a he's a sharp shooter, one of the, one of the best shooters in the ACC. Um, he's certainly in the middle of a cold streak. It's we've seen good shooters for Virginia Tech go through this before. Um, I'm thinking back to when I was like a freshman and sophomore at Virginia Tech, you know, I saw Jarrell Eddy go through a similar stretch. He had a pretty good career for Virginia Tech, but he had a stretch where it felt like he couldn't hit anything for a really long time. Justin Bibbs has had these stretches more recently before um, where he just goes through this cycle where he can't hit a shot, a med hill, same way. So guys who have historically been pretty good shooters in the Virginia Tech program have gone through these stretches before. Obviously Jalen Cohn is is not immune, but uh, I anticipate that, He'll be back on track soon. He certainly looked the part in the Virginia game that the Hokies won last night at Castle Coliseum. Um, this was a game against number eight, Virginia, that, Ed, I was not expecting the Hokies to win. We were texting, uh, I guess it was on Friday afternoon, and I was basically asking you, like, all right, what's our path here? Like, do we feel optimistic? <laughs> and you and I are both like, ah, no, not really. Like, <laughs> let's just keep it you know, semi-competitive with the way that Virginia was playing, it seemed like, all right, Tech's without Tyrese Radford. This is their first true test without him. Um, Notre Dame, you know, you could beat Notre Dame without Radford, but can you beat a team like UVA without Radford? You know, the slashing ability that he brings on the offensive end, you don't really necessarily need that against a team like Notre Dame, but you certainly need it to play against a good defense like Virginia. And Ed, Virginia Tech wins this game by 14, uh, Virginia had a stretch in the second half under 10 minutes to go where they went seven plus minutes without a field goal. I think tech ended this game on something like a 21 to four run, uh, Virginia tech's defense really ratcheted up here. There's so much I want to talk about from this game because it is Virginia tech's biggest win of the season. I think this Trump's Villanova, just considering Virginia's stature in the ACC and how well they were playing. I think Virginia is flat out really good, like national championship contender. Good. And for Tech to come out and beat them this handily at Castle and really dominate the game from about the 10-minute mark of the second half onward to really close, it was it was by far Tech's most impressive effort of the season, in my opinion. It was the most impressive stretch of defensive basketball I've seen out of Virginia Tech in probably, I mean, I'm trying to think, even in the Buzz Williams era. It's certainly the most impressive defensive game I've seen the Hokies play under Mike Young. But again, 51 points for Virginia. This ties the Notre Dame game for lowest opponent scoring output of the season. So Tech's now done that in back-to-back games, this time against a really good opponent in Virginia that was clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, I actually disagree with you. I actually think Villanova's way better than Virginia. Um, I think Villanova's only loss this year is to Virginia Tech. Um, This Virginia team's good. Don't get me wrong. I did not expect the effort that we – put out obviously in the second half putting up 44 against Virginia is pretty insane um but I I don't see that national caliber team in Virginia that you know I know some people do and clearly the polls do um they're just not very dynamic offensively at all um Sam Hauser is a solid player Huff solid player they have a lot of solid players they don't have anyone that's going to take over a game and I think Virginia Tech played amazing defense especially in the second half and really the first half, too. It sounds like I listened to the first half on the radio. Uh, it sounded like there was a few times where Virginia just kind of threw one up and it went in, especially in that first half. So it sounds like all around the defensive effort 
I mean, I know the second half was great, but it sounds like the first half was too. Was. But even, but even still, Virginia shot 36% and 35% from three. So it's not like they were like stone cold, but our guys were on fire, especially yeah. in the second half. 50% for the game, 50% from three. Um, that was kind of what I said when you asked me how we win. We got to shoot. I mean, if we shoot the ball well, we'll win. Um, I know we just didn't shoot the ball very well in the first half, but the second half was ridiculous. And then, well, yeah, we'll touch on Jalen Cohn. We just, you know, talked about him and his cold streak. He was bad in the first half. Um, I know Sam Jesse from Locks of Saturday tweeted out a picture of a video of Jalen Cohn at the start of the second half during warmups out there just doing form shooting drills. And it worked because he came right out and hit two threes to start second half. Really put, you know, a nice shot in the arm for the offense. And then, I mean, really, things just kind of never looked back from there. I mean, Virginia Tech played a pretty much flawless second half of basketball. Um, Kevin Aluma was literally unguardable. It doesn't matter who Virginia put on him. You know, Jay Huff's a little bit taller than Kevin Aluma. It didn't matter. Sam Hauser's a little bit stronger than Jay Huff. didn't matter. Uh, Kevin Olympia was just going to score every time he touched the ball down the block, um, which is somewhat un-Virginia-like that he was able to get the ball in the spots he wanted to time and time and time again. Um, I think a lot of that is, you know, he's a really good player and, you know, really good coaching from our guys to get him in the spots he needs to be. And they fed the hot hand. I mean, he was literally unguardable. Down the stretch was insane. Just little hooks over their big guys over and over. And it was a lot of fun to watch. It was a he put on an absolute clinic down low for the Hokies. This is Tech's best team in a while. Um, this is this is I can't believe I'm saying this. It doesn't have the star power of the Sweet 16 team, but we're getting there. <laughs> um, we're getting there. Yeah. Guys are growing up quick, Ed. Like this is a this is a team that's really coming into its own. Um, when Tyrese Radford gets back, because it does sound like he's going to be back at some point this year. I'm, I'm not reporting that. I have no idea, but it just sounds like based on what Mike Young was saying, it sounds, you know, they sound optimistic about getting him back. Yeah. Radford adds another element offensively and obviously defensively. He's a really important player for tech against these better teams. Um, Jalen Cohn hits two threes in the second half. That, that was huge. They came at really crucial times. Actually um, <laughs> UVA looked a couple different times, like they were starting to pull away. They went up by 10 at one point early in the second half. Cone hit a three, Couture hit a three, and all of a sudden, Tech is right back within striking distance. That happened a few different times. So guys were just making clutch shot after clutch shot. You texted me saying the only way for Tech to really stay competitive, potentially win this game, in your opinion, was for Tech to shoot 45% from three. Well, they shot 50% from three. They went nine of 18 from deep. 50% from the field for the game, 22 of 44 from the field as a team. That's a really strong offensive effort against it. Virginia defense is probably going to be one of the best defenses they face all year. So this was a really strong effort by Tech. You mentioned Keve Aluma. I don't want to harp on it too much because you hit all the high points. He had 29 and 10. He had five different defenders guarding him in this game, and it just didn't matter. He was asked about that in postgame. And Kevin Aluma said that he didn't feel like he shot the ball enough at Wofford to garner that type that type of attention. So um, that was a pretty funny quote from him. But yeah, to have 29 and 10 on 10 of 15 shooting, it was seven of eight from the free throw line, which is important because Tech as a team has been a bit up and down in the free throw shooting department this year. Um, to have a really strong effort, 12 of 14 from the free throw line is obviously solid as well. Defensively. It was an incredible effort. Um, Wabisabidi had a stretch in the second half where 
he deflected two or three passes in like four possessions to force turnovers or at least take UVA out of their rhythm. And that got the Hokies going in the fast break a bit, which I thought was important. Hunter Couture defensively, he played 31 minutes off the bench in this game, five of seven from the field, three of five from three. He had 15 points. Uh, Couture is, I talked about Naheem Aline, how I thought Aline was going to make that jump to be Tech's best all around player. Um, a guy that had the ceiling where he could do a little bit of everything. I was wrong. It's Hunter Couture. His defense has been unbelievable this year. The steps that he's taken in that regard, we knew he could shoot the three, but he's becoming more of a threat inside the three-point line as well, um, creating his own shot. He's getting more and more confident. It feels like every shot he takes, it feels like it's going to go in. We talk about that with Jalen Cohn all the time. We're starting to see that with Couture. Uh, but just a really strong effort by Virginia Tech in this game. Um, to win this game, given the circumstances of not having your best player, um, going up against a Virginia team that was on absolute fire. I mean, they were on a tear coming into this game, beating guy, beating teams up and down, you know, coming in against a tech team that did not have one of their best players in Radford. And, and for the Hokies to win this game, not only win this game, but pull away and win by 14 in convincing fashion in the second half, that this is a hell of a coaching job by Mike Young, but also a testament to the players because on any given night, another guy can step up and make a difference. Um, I, one last thing here before I turn it back over to you, Ed. I tweeted at you in the middle of the first half. We had been texting throughout this game, but I tweeted you in the middle of the first half, and I said, well, one way for Tech to win is for, you know, the team overall to shoot 45% from three. Another way to win is for Aluma to go for 40, because at one point in the first half, um, Aluma yeah. was up to 13 or 14 points in the first nine minutes, I think it was. He finished with 16 of the team's 21 points in the first half. We talk about Aline keeping the Hokies in it against Syracuse. We had the same vibes with Keve Aluma in this game. Nobody on Tech's offense could buy a bucket in the first half except for Keve Aluma. And then everybody contributed in the second half. Beattie hit some big shots. Jalen Cohn hit some big shots. Couture was awesome. Uh, just a really, a really strong all-around effort for Virginia Tech. I thought the Hokies would be taking a definitive step back without Tyrese Radford. I think it's safe to say with the way that guys are stepping up and growing up quick, um, namely Hunter Couture, um, the way that he's grown up this year and turned into the player that he's become, Tech's going to be hanging around the top of the ACC, regardless of whether Radford comes back or not, I think. Yeah, the, the balance is pretty amazing. And if you really look at the, the box score from last night, we only played, in reality, six dudes. Because David Ngasson only played seven minutes. I mean, that's a somewhat of a substantial number. And Ojiako only played two. So, I mean, 36 minutes for Aluma, 34 for Mutz, 29, 26, 35, 31. We really only played six guys. Um, which, you know, last night it was fine because Kevin Aluma put up 29. Um, but I think in general it would be nice to get Tyrese back if that is something that's in the cards, just to add another body to get in the rotation down the stretch here. But, um, yeah, I thought – you know, really the only way we were going to win this game was to shoot a really high percentage from three, and they did that. But I guess the caveat I should have thrown in there was shoot a high percentage and make a lot. And they only made nine threes. They, Virginia actually had more threes than Virginia Tech yeah. did last night. Um, Kebe Aluma just carried us. I mean, he was just so good. Um, I haven't seen a big man in a Virginia Tech uniform do that. Um, that was that was really, really impressive. And um, – and another thing to talk about for this is, you know, well, BCBD played so well last night in every aspect. 
Um, he had a very like Draymond Green-esque line, seven points, uh, a block, a steal, four, five assists, four rebounds. He just did a little bit of everything. Uh, two of three. He didn't like take crazy shots. He hit his only three that he took. Um, it was just an all-around really good performance from everybody, but particularly, obviously, Kevin Oluma and Hunter Couture. Um, when Hunter Couture comes off a screen, gets his shoulders square to the basket, it's pretty much going in every time. Yeah, he doesn't um, miss those shots, Ed. I mean, he Jaylen, makes those consistently. Yeah, Jalen Cohn's is similar, but he's just like, I don't know that he needs to be as square <laughs> as Couture right. does. Right. Um, but Hunter Couture is just, just the picture-perfect shooter. He comes off a screen, and if he's squared up, it's going in. Um, and he continues to just hit huge shots late in games to put things away. Um, I was standing up watching the end, and he hit a three from the top of the key. And as soon as he put it in the air, I was like, that's ball game. That was a dagger. Yep. And at that point, it put him up like 12, and it was just out of reach. Um, I, w- I will say that we beat them in pretty much every category last night except for turnovers. Yep. Um, we lost the turnover battle, which, you know, so far this year hasn't bode well for the Hokies, but it wasn't too bad yesterday. I mean, 12 turnovers against a defensive team like Virginia is not terrible. Yep. Um, you'd like it to see under 10 always, but we'll take that. Um, a lot of it had to do with, effort. well, a lot of it too had to do with just the fact that tech had to be more aggressive last night in the second half. I mean, offensively, you could yeah. tell like after halftime, things were ratcheted up a notch. I mean, tech was moving the ball a lot better in the second half. Um, we talked about Aluma just kind of being the only guy in the first half to really do anything offensively as far as putting the ball in the bucket. Uh, but Tech, I thought the ball movement in the second half was a lot better. They were a lot quicker um, around screens and stuff like that. They were a bit more aggressive. I think Mike Young and his staff saw that Virginia did not have their best defensive stuff last night or they weren't necessarily prepared for what Tech was throwing at them. It was clear after halftime that whatever Young and the staff said in the locker room resonated because Tech came off screens a lot crisper. Um, they were able to, at, at times, UVA was playing like this matchup zone defense, and Tech was able to screen out of that a lot and get guys open for, for open shots. And Jalen Cohn and Hunter Couture just knocking down the shots that they hit, BD hitting that three to tie the game, uh, I think it was around the 11 or 12-minute mark of the second half. That was a huge shot. And Tech really just offensively, it, it was like it was just taken to a whole nother level in the second half as far as aggressiveness was concerned. And that was really nice to see. Yeah, Virginia has their own issues that they're going to have to work through. Um, you know, it looked like they had had a lot of this stuff figured out. You know, they won seven straight coming into this game, I believe. But um, if Reese Beekman is going to score one point, they're going to have yeah. a hard time. Um, and I think anytime Kihei Clark is taking the most shots for the Cavaliers, that doesn't spell for a recipe of success for them. Um, I just don't think he's that very good of a player, but that's a whole different topic. But I, I, him shooting 13 shots just doesn't bode well. Um, you know, we held Hauser in check. He only had 10. Um, Jay Huff hit three threes, which when he wants to shoot it from three, go ahead, let him. And he's going to make them. He's a good shooter, but you also yep. can't really, you can't contest him. He's seven feet tall. I mean, he's right. shooting from like 11 feet up in the air. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that was a, that's a bright spot for them. He's his development as a player over the last, you know, I guess two, three seasons now um, has actually been cool to watch because he was really just a big guy when he first started playing for them. And now he's actually got some skill to him. Yeah. Um, might be they're, they're one a good of the, team. They play good defense, but I just don't. I, I just the offense just isn't dynamic enough to keep them in games when they're only going to score fifty-one. Which back-to-back games for Virginia Tech allowing fifty-one points is pretty awesome. 
yeah, the one thing I'll say about Huff, he's been really good this year. He's been dominant ACC player of the year candidate for sure. Maybe the front runner. Um, he has definitely evolved his game, like you mentioned. But I thought Tech did a really nice job on him last night. Uh, you can really only do so much against against Jay Huff when he's hitting threes and, you know, he's guys back to the basket and he's doing what he does down low. It's 7-2 or whatever he is. There's some somewhat questionable coaching there from Virginia, too. I mean, that'd be interesting. I don't know if anyone asked Tony Bennett about this in the postgame, but why did their best player, arguably in Jay Huff, who shot five of seven from the field, three of three from three, only played 23 minutes. Right. Um, right. That's a little little interesting considering, you know, wh- there's no one on the bench for them really did anything productive. Morsell played 25. Not really sure what the deal with that is, but, yeah, I mean, I, I thought the Hokies did a great job across the board stopping, you know, Huff, who was probably their main guy, and then Hauser, who's their go-to guy. So, Right. No, I agree. And I think Huff getting to foul trouble, it played right into Virginia Tech's hand. Obviously, they were going after him all night trying to get him into foul trouble. Mike Young said as much in the post game, but I thought Tony Bennett taking him off the floor um, for some long, you know, some long stretches, I thought really hurt Virginia down the stretch. He should be playing more than 23 minutes. He's their best player. In my opinion, Um, he's got to be playing more than that. Well, Um, even if he's in foul trouble, I get that you can't have him on the floor if he's in foul trouble, but when that game started to spiral out of control, you got to do something. I mean, you got to stop the bleeding. I mean, you do. And, you, you mentioned Beekman. He looked like a freshman last night, especially defensively. Yeah. Offensively, he struggled, right? He only has one point. I mean, that's Beekman's been better for them this year than that offensively. But that wasn't even the part, if I'm a Virginia fan, that I'm really upset about. It's the fact that defensively, just too many breakdowns. And Beekman was the culprit in a lot of cases. You know, Jalen Cohn's two threes in particular. Beekman goes under the screen both times and Cone hit two threes. I think it was two threes in consecutive possessions or like three possessions, something like that. He hit them pretty close to each other. Right. And Beekman went under the screen twice. Um, They ran that baseline, um, that baseline screenplay where he basically just runs right down the baseline and, and pops out by the short corner. And both times Beekman went under the screen and Cone got open twice there in, in the short corner of the wing. And, and it was just, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Virginia just had trouble adjusting defensively last night, which credit Virginia tech, obviously for, for playing the way that they did, but this is unlike Virginia to have the breakdowns that they had defensively. And that's before we even discussed just the fact that Aluma had 29 and 10, that never happens to Virginia. I mean, that was crazy. He dominated the game in the paint. Usually you can't even get paint touches against Virginia, let alone have a guy go 29-10 against him. So just a really impressive offensive performance, too, by Virginia Tech. Yeah, I think a lot of Kevin's stuff was very BD-dependent. I think Wabisa did a really good job getting Kevin the ball where he needed to get the ball, but also schemed up beautifully by, you know, Coach Young and Frazier and um, Giltner and Webster. All the coaches, obviously, great effort defensively and offensively, but being able to scheme up those plays to get a limb of the ball where he needed it was, was pretty awesome. Yeah. I think it was BD's best game of the year. Um, just the way he played on both ends. He, he had kind of an up and down first half, second half. He was just, he was unreal. Um, yeah, defense, he was locked in. Yeah. Defensively, offensively hitting, hitting the three that he hit to tie the game. You know, getting a loom of the ball when UVA was keying on him a bit more in the second half and getting him favorable position. I mean, this was, a good effort by BD for a guy who receives a lot of flack because he doesn't give the Hokies much from a scoring standpoint. But I thought all, all, you know, all in all, all around, it was a very good performance for Tech, upsetting 
number eight Virginia. And that, now Tech goes on the road on Wednesday night against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh just got smoked by Notre Dame. They, they played on ACC Network right after Virginia Tech did last night. Uh, Pitt losing in a blowout to Notre Dame. Pitt's lost, what was it, three straight now, Ed, going yep. into this game? So, so Pittsburgh is a wounded team right now, a team that has been much improved for, for most of the year. They're now eight and five and four and four in conference play. Tech is getting Pitt at a good time, um, but going to play in that arena is tough. You know, usually you're dealing with the Autzen Zoo, you know, the student section for Pittsburgh, which is tough to go into that small arena and play against Pittsburgh. Uh, that, that's usually a pretty tough place to play. Okie's got to be ready. And, and how are they going to respond to success? So far this year, they've, they've done a pretty good job of that. But this is going to be a, a difficult game on Wednesday night because Pitt needs us win really bad for their tournament hopes. They're, they're on the bubble, in my opinion, at this point, eight and five, four and four in conference play. They, they've won some big games, but they really need this, this victory against Virginia Tech at home. So this is going to be a dangerous spot for the Hokies here on Wednesday. They got to be ready to go. Yeah, they got to have this one. Um... Pitt's kind of in a tailspin right now after what was probably a really obviously big win anytime you beat Duke, but an emotional win for uh, Jeff Cable, you know, knocking off his former former employer. Um, but they've lost three straight since then. So and lost by one to Wake, lost by 10 to UNC, and then got dismantled by what you already talked about as a not very dynamic Notre Dame team last night. Um, I, just, I just think, you know, just kind of come prepared. I mean, the, the Hokies looked a little bit asleep and unprepared against Syracuse on the road. Um, haven't had a whole lot of, you know, road games, obviously, with the weird schedule. I mean, we've had a few, we've had three recently, but um, it'll be interesting to see how the how the boys handle it on the road against a pit team that is, you know, very hit or miss. They've got a player of the year candidate. Um, and Justin, how did you say you say it? Champagne? Uh, yeah, yeah. He can flat out ball and he's averaging 20 and 12 on um, 53% shooting this year. He's a very, very good player. Um, keeping him in check will be interesting. He has a 6-6 forward. I think that would have been the Tyrese Radford matchup, so it'll be interesting to see who the coaching staff decides to stick on him, maybe Justin Mutz or um, probably Naheem Aline, I would guess, but that's a size mismatch that the Hokies will have to deal with on that one. Um, but if you keep him in check, which so far this year, the Hokies have done a really good job keeping the other team's best scorer in check. Um, and they did it against... Uh, Isaiah Wong in Miami kept him in check. And, you know, same thing with Notre Dame and then yesterday against Virginia. So if they're able to keep Champagne in check, um, they should handle this game. Uh, he's, he's kind of a one-man wrecking crew for them. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. And hopefully we can come in prepared, handle business, and get back to Blacksburg. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Tech's got this game against Pitt, and then they go on the road again. So it's two straight on the road here. Um, next Saturday they play at Miami. I want to talk about that game for a second too, Ed, because we probably won't record until after this Miami game. Um, this is a team that has obviously been struggling. Tech has already beaten this team once this year. You just mentioned Isaiah Wong. I mean, he is the guy that Tech is going to have to really pay attention to because the Hurricanes struggle to really find anyone else to score consistently on their roster. It's been a big issue for them this year. It's been an issue for Pitt too with Champagne. It's kind of the same deal. Um, so these are two winnable games for Virginia Tech. I think two games they absolutely have to have before coming back home on February 9th. Um, that will be a Tuesday, so two Tuesdays from now, <laughs> to play Florida State, a team that just inexplicably lost to Georgia Tech on Saturday. Um, was not expecting that. Lost some money on that game, by the way. That was not great. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
yeah, a, a nice little stretch of games coming up for Virginia Tech. I mean, it, this is Tech sitting at 13 and three right now, only two losses in conference play, and getting Pitt and Miami back to back on the road. If you're going to go on the road twice in the ACC, it's really hard to complain about these two teams being the ones that you have to face given kind of where they're at. I think Pitt is certainly the, the more difficult of the two games, but on the road at Miami could be an interesting little trap game for the Hokies giving, given Florida state, Louisville, North Carolina, and then Florida state again, follow in the next four games. So th- this Miami game can't be slept on next Saturday, in my opinion. Yeah. The, the, the next two Pitt and Miami will be really interesting. I agree with you that, that if you have any aspirations to win the ACC regular season title, uh, you got to have both. Um, and they're, you know, they're two teams that we've, one we've already beaten and then one that we, I think, are more than capable of handling. Um, so you win those two. I'm looking at the schedule. I'm assuming they may not go back to Blacksburg after Pitt, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, they might just go straight to Miami. It's, it's kind of a, you know, it's a two-day in-between type of deal. So they might just go straight to Miami. I'm not really sure how they're going to handle that. Um, but then, yeah, you mentioned the, the four after that, Florida State, Louisville, UNC, Florida State. That might be the toughest stretch of the year. Yeah. Um, those are four really – well, three really good teams, um, four really tough games, especially ending on the road with at UNC, at Florida State. Yeah. Um, you know, the I think Louisville is very beatable. Um, obviously, North Carolina is as well. Florida State, they had been rolling. Um, so it's really interesting to see what Florida State does between now and when we play them. Uh, but then after that, I mean, you close the season out with Georgia Tech, Wake, and NC State – I think they got to fit a Virginia game in there somewhere. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I think, I think you don't want to get you want to be cautiously optimistic. Right. But um, the schedule lays out, you know, after these two on the road games against Pitt and Miami, the schedule lays out pretty nice for the Hokies. Yeah. I think there's a pretty decent chance that we see the Virginia game rescheduled in between Wake Forest and NC state to close the year. Uh, Tech plays Wake Forest on February 27th. They play NC State um, on March 6th, so um, eight days in between those games, uh, or I guess seven in between those games. Um, I, I think that's where you may see a UVA game <laughs> bunched in there. Um, that game would be on the road. That would be a tough game for Tech to win. Who knows what the roster situation is at that point. Maybe they have Radford back. That would help, certainly, but going on the road, John Paul Jones is not an easy place to play. Uh, that could be a decisive game potentially for the ACC regular season titles. So there could be a lot of implications on the line there, especially, I mean, there's a lot of basketball left certainly, but, you know, given how the schedule is laid out here for Virginia tech, you know, they do get some of their tough games at home. They have a couple tough road games, but most of the remaining tough games are at home, except for that UVA game that will need to be rescheduled. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, tech obviously is in really good position to get a high seed, obviously in the ACC tournament, depending on how these next few weeks go. we got about a month left in the season here um, in the regular season before conference tournament play. Tech's got a really decent shot to be like a three or a four seed, which I can't believe that we're even saying that, Ed. <laughs> but, I mean, you and I, you and I did our first – we did our first podcast here, and we talked about Virginia Tech, you know, being picked 11th in the ACC um, in the preseason media poll. And you and I thought they would be like seventh or eighth in the conference. Yeah. And they are second in the conference right now. And it's hard to see them finishing worse than like fourth or fifth, unless they start dropping games. We don't expect them to. 
which who's to say, but Tech's in a really good spot, I think. Um, this is a really fun team. They're way ahead of schedule. They got a, long, a lot of young guys contributing. Mike Young is an unbelievable coach. This is this has been a lot of fun so far this year, and I think that the best is yet to come for this team. Yeah, they're they're a lot of fun, and they're way ahead of schedule. Um, you know, it's kind of packed at the top in terms of the ACC standings. Um, you know, I think we have actually played the most conference games of anybody, maybe. Or right there with, you know, we've played eight now, which is right there with, every, you know, everybody else who uh, kind of at the top in terms of games played. Um, so, I mean, seven and two in conference, half game back of Virginia. If you told me that that would be at the beginning of February, that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, the guys are saying all the right things in postgame. Hunter Couture, you know, had some, had some fun quotes. Go follow Mike on Twitter and you can go back to read all that stuff from yesterday. Um, some fun quotes from him. Obviously, you know, Mike Young is one of the most quotable coaches I've ever seen. Yep. So it's been a really fun, fun team to follow. And I look forward to, you know, the weeks to come. Yeah, for sure. So a lot of fun coming up for the men's team. And Ed, before we wrap up, we got to talk about Kenny Brooks and the women's basketball team real quick. Um, Virginia Tech is the Virginia Tech women's team is eight and seven overall. They're three and seven in the ACC. So they're having a bit of an up and down year here. Um, Dara Mabry, they're one of their best players, transferred out to Notre Dame in the offseason. And, you know, they lost some key pieces, but they still have Asia Shepard. And Asia Shepard made sure that NC State remembered that. Number two, NC State lost to Virginia Tech 83 to 71 in Castle Coliseum this week. Ed, Asia Shepard outscored, personally outscored NC State 19 to 14 in overtime. This was a game that. NC State hit a crazy shot at the end of regulation to send it to overtime. Then Asia Shepard popped off. She finished with 28 points on 6 of 17 shooting. Had an unreal overtime period, too. Um, hit. I, she came off a screen. Tech was up by 6 in overtime. She came off a screen and kind of hit like a step back, like stutter step three-point shot um, with, with about a minute and a half to go to really just sink NC state. This is one of the biggest wins in 45 years of Virginia tech women's basketball, knocking off number two, NC state. And I just want to get your, your takeaway here that the women's team, they've been struggling of late. They've lost a lot of close games. They, they had lost three in a row before this game against NC state, but this is the biggest win of the Kenny Brooks era. One of the biggest wins in school history. Yeah. I mean, they've got to be one of the best eight and seven teams in the country. Right. I mean, if you look at their losses, they've only had two double digit losses, I believe. Um, and, you know, two days before they beat number two NC State, they lost to number two NC State by two in a game that they led pretty much the entire way. Um, I was actually at a bar Saturday um, and it was they were replaying it and I was watching it and I was like, how did we lose this game? Um, but then they, you know, bounced right back and they able to knock them off. That's a huge win. Um, I'm sure, you know, it's got to feel really, really good in the basketball building right now for, you know, the way both programs are performing. Hopefully the women's team can, you know, take that in stride and handle the rest of their schedule. And, you know, who knows what they can do in the ACC tournament. Maybe they can play themselves into a situation where they've got a little bit of postseason ball to play because um, they've got a lot of talent on the team. You know, 28 from Asia Shepard, that's pretty amazing. And, you know, it would be nice to handle both those games against NC State, but I think you'll take a split with the number two team in the country. Yeah, a big reason why they were in position to um, make it to the NCAA tournament last year, obviously, before COVID wrecked everything, uh, was because Liz Kitley as a freshman was really good. She's taken another step forward as a sophomore. Um, she continues to be really good. She had 17 points and 11 rebounds in this game, so um, that's not to be lost. Asia Shepard obviously stole the show. Um, 
you know, finishing with 28 points and outscoring NC State like she did in overtime. But uh, Liz Kitley had a really good game, too. Uh, Tech had four players in double digits. So a, a huge win for Kenny Brooks in that program. Like you mentioned, it'll be interesting to follow them down the stretch. We may have to start talking about them a little bit more, um, given kind of where they're at, to see if they can make a late-season push in the ACC and, and try to make it to the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, Tech had obviously a great shot last year before uh, the tournament got canceled. So it'll be interesting to see now after a few tough losses and now a huge win if um, the Lady Hokies can now make a push to March Madness. So um, we'll, we'll keep you all tuned in on that. Ed, I think that's all we got. This is a pretty decently long podcast. We had a lot to talk about um, since the last time we hit record. So let everybody know where they can find your stuff. Yep, on Twitter at E underscore Williams24, um, sonsofsaturday.com. I'm mostly just doing the podcast right now with Mike during the season. Um, I've got a couple of things I want to write about, um, one of which pertains to baseball as spring training's around the corner and a couple uh, former Hokies that are going to be in camps with spots to make uh, make some major league rosters. So uh, those will be some articles coming you know, soon, but right now I'm focused on basketball. Uh, hopefully – Hopefully the the sons of skiing out there in Colorado will uh, <laughs> will will publish this this nice podcast we just did. Um, but yeah, Mike, talk to him. Tell him where you're at. Yeah, Ed and I tend to text Billy and Pat almost every day. We we have a group chat. We we tend to text them almost every day. So we'll make sure that this one gets posted. We'll pull Billy and Pat in off the slopes. Make sure they get this up. Um, yeah, find me at Mike McDaniel VT. I'm mostly doing the podcast right now as well. I, I need to do some writing. I really do. Um, but yeah, find me there. Find me at sunsaturday.com hokey hangover podcast. I do an ACC football podcast as well. So go check all that out. Um, Ed, I guess we'll talk maybe next Sunday after the Miami game and kind of get a pulse of where things are at with tech over the next two games before they face a brutally tough stretch of, Florida State and Louisville, uh, Florida State twice, actually, Louisville and North Carolina sandwich in there. So it'll be a tough stretch, but we'll try to get back next Sunday. Um, but until then, make sure to go follow us, follow Sons of Saturday at Sons of Sat VT on Twitter and stay tuned to the podcast feed as well. Yeah, and real quick, I just want to mention, um, just came up on the Sons Twitter page, but uh, a nice uh, hokey spotlight on basketball commit Sean Padula by Ryan Wilkes. Uh, for all your basketball needs, go give that a read. I'm about to read that right after we log off here. So, go yep. give that, go give that, a, go give that some attention on Sons of Saturday at Twitter feed and SonsOfSaturday.com. Yeah, Padula could have a huge role on the basketball team here for for years to come. He's a pretty big commit that Ryan was able to talk to this week. So yeah, definitely make sure to uh, go ahead and check that out. Uh, but until next Sunday, I guess Ed, we'll we'll talk soon. Uh, but until next time, go Hokies. <laughs>